breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. It is always an honor to be with all of you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening to the program, the leading program in discussing Islamic reform, counter-Islamism, counter-radicalization, and the ideology that fuels the radicalization of possible constituency of the quarter of the world's population. And now we see that the far left is beginning to work with the Islamists even tighter than they used to be, almost in a wanton way, as if they know nobody's watching. And we're going to talk a little about that, as we have in other programs. But if you care about the democracy, if you care about America, freedom, and our Constitution, then you not only have to push back against your political enemies and those who may try to socialize our economy, who may try to destroy free markets, destroy freedom, but you'll also look at their allies and what they're doing not only domestically but globally. And the Biden administration has now continued the Obama playbook of continuing to appease the theocrats of Iran. It's even gotten to the point where they're no longer pretending to have a wall, a firewall, if you will, between the clerics and their president and the presidency and the executive branch, if you will. No, they now have Raisi coming into power. Raisi, the hanging judge, who I've talked to you about a few weeks ago, and his position in Iran will now merge completely the judiciary, which we knew was merged anyway, as so many so-called Pundits and experts used to try to tell us that folks like Rafsanjani were moderates and Ahmadinejad was a hardliner and all these different things. And the bottom line is they were window dressing. They served a purpose for the theocracy, for the Islamic Supreme Council, and for the terror and genocide that they were spreading through the region from Lebanon and Syria all the way to Pakistan and Afghanistan and elsewhere and across the world. But now, they're merging. But now, we're beginning to see that they, with little time they feel might be present during the Biden administration, are beginning to move into hyperspeed to do what they need to to continue their information program. And we saw this week federal prosecutors charge four Iranian intelligence operatives with plotting to kidnap a Brooklyn author and human rights activist. And again, for those of you that follow me, know that I've talked to you about, I've talked to you about this activist, Alina Jad. She's amazing. She has uh, been a relentless advocate for women's rights, for freedom, for the Iranian people. She's talked about the pressure that her family's been under in Iran. Her name is Masih Alinejad. And she told NBC News that she was the target. The four arrested 
well, that should be arrested. Uh, some of them are in Iran, obviously not possible. But the four, Alireza Shavarogli Farhani, Mahmoud Khazin, Kiya Sadiri, Omid Nuri, all live in Iran and are accused of conspiring to kidnap a Brooklyn journalist, Masih Alinejad. The fifth, Bahadur Afar, is accused of providing financial support. Law enforcement officials familiar with the case identified Messia Halinejad and confirmed that she was the target of their kidnapping operation trying to get her to Iran and put her, obviously, not only in prison but likely torture her. And she noted, I've been targeted for a number of years, but this is the first time that such an audacious plot has been hatched and foiled. Anijad said by email, This story is so important because when the Syrian revolution started, I was telling many of you that the tentacles of these regimes tell their families that we can reach you wherever you are, especially in America. We will reach you, we will find you, and we will kill and torture your family and you and bring you back. Many of us, even like myself, born in the United States, the Syrian regime still likes to claim that the kids, the children of immigrants from their country are still citizens, even though we never, we never had citizenship with their God-forsaken government. So they will threaten families. They then have brothers reporting on brothers and other families. There was a time in which in Syria... It was known that one out of nine American immigrants were part of the Mukhabarat or the intelligence services. Those numbers have now dropped off significantly since the revolution, since they don't have the personnel, but the reporting continues. The reporting continues in Iran, in which Syria is a client state, quickly learned the Russian techniques that the Syrians learned, as Iran works with Russia directly anyway, and works with China and shares intel with them. And you combine the ruthless autocratic intel from Russia, from China, with the brutal tribal terrorism of the likes of the Ba'athists of, of Syria or the Khomeinists of Iran, and you have plot after plot after plot. So if this plot shows anything, is that they're continuing to do so now more than ever as they see a weak government in Washington who is very inhibited by wanting to resurrect the nuclear deal, by wanting to bring back a time in which they can threaten to be on the edge of nuclear armamentation but yet build up their ballistic missile strengths so that they can threaten the entire region even beyond the close regional areas but and even into space, as they've been talking ballistic missile purchases and otherwise with Russia and God knows what other countries. Al-Najad said, it's been a horrifying experience, but I can't say that it's been entirely unexpected. The regime has tried many forms of intimidation to silence me over the years. Prosecutors say the Iranian government directed followers to kidnap the author to get her back to Iran.
there was a ring of intelligence officers that were working with contacts in the United States to kidnap her. They hired private investigators, misrepresented who they were to to surveil the author in Brooklyn during 2020 and 2021. This is a fresh case. They researched how to get her out of New York, even including military-style speedboats for self-operated maritime evacuation out of New York City and maritime travel for New York to Venezuela, a country whose de facto government has friendly relations with Iran. Yes. The Venezuela that AOC and her others said was misunderstood is being used for an apparent understanding that they have the free ability to kidnap Americans in their home country and bring them back for torture information and otherwise in Iran. Alinejad said Tuesday that because Iranian intelligence agents were involved, she believes Iranian President Hassan Rouhani knew about it and approved the plot. She said the regime jailed my brother, interrogated my family, and now this plot all to silence me. She fled in 2009 and has lived in New York since 2014. She criticized the regime and launched a campaign against dress codes for women, including mandatory wearing of the hijab. Her brother was arrested in 2019 and sentenced to eight years in prison. He was tortured and tried in secret without his lawyers present. So, this case tells us a lot. Meanwhile, the left is silent. Meanwhile, there is no unity. I mean, these types of stories should bring unity. Now, I did see her interviewed on CNN, MSNBC, which was reassuring. They're finally paying attention to the plight of freedom activists from a regime that the left wants to make sycophantic deals with. That must end. They don't understand appeasement. In fact, it unleashes them to do whatever they want because they know that that ups the ante, so we want to deal more. While maximum pressure, as Secretary Pompeo and President Trump were doing for four years, I, I don't recall stories like these. This was happening on the heels of the Trump administration. It almost seems, why is that? Reagan comes into office in 1980 and the hostages are let out. After four years of Carter, and if anything, Biden really seems like Carter on steroids, with Obama sprinkled in. Weaker than we've ever been, the powers of the, of the world, the Islamist and far-left Marxists, as Mark Levin so eloquently talks about, the Marxists and American Marxism are unleashed And working with the Islamists. Which brings me. I've talked to you in this program a lot about how they work with the Islamists. And it's so weird. It's just and, 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 and unbelievably bizarre. 
Well, Ayan Hirsi Ali, as she's so eloquent and another courageous woman now at at uh, Hoover Institute in Stanford, has been writing for Unheard, the, her, the home of independent thinkers. And I've talked to you about her work before. She had a piece this week about why Islamism, why Islamism became woke. And it is, there's a quote in here that I think summarizes the epitome of what we're facing. Ayan lays it out perfectly, but this little example, if you think of one, remember this one. She said, the internal tension between wokeism and Islamism is never far away. Just look at Al Jazeera, which uploads documentaries about transgender rights onto its social media channel while broadcasting sermons suggesting husbands should beat their wives on its Arabic station. And not to mention, I'll go on to add to her quote my own thought about the fact that they've never gone after Iran or other countries, Islamists, Salafists that throw... Uh, homosexuals off cliffs and off buildings and murder them genocidally. And when interviewed, they say there is no homosexuality in their populations. I mean, this is horrific. But that type of duplicity, that type of dishonesty, where Al Jazeera and the, uh, the American context... And now they've started a conservative channel, too. They realize that they're only appealing to the left so why if they've been so successful in appealing to the socialists and convincing them that islam their islamism is compatible with feminism and wokeism and black lives matter and the uh, uh, legalization of drugs and all these other things that are part of the left's movement which islamism actually detests as an ideology but yet they don't care if they're Far-right socialists, far, I'm sorry, far-right fascists and theocrats especially? No. They only care that they work with them and that they lift each other up. Whether it's the mafia or fascists or theocrats, they don't care on the left. As long as they lift each other up, they'll stand on their shoulders as corrupt as those shoulders are. Because they realize in the left that the Islamists are never going to run the place here. But their influence globally, they deny. We started the episode today talking about Messiah Alinejad, an American citizen threatened by Iran. A plot foiled. The left doesn't realize, or maybe it doesn't, it just doesn't give to you know what. The left doesn't care that their marriages, their promiscuity with movements of Islamism is going to leave in its wake a global movement that it also fuels as Code Pink goes to Tehran. And sure, they may get Muslims in America to become pro-BLM and pro-woke ideology, but they'll also become Islamists. They'll also become Muslim Brotherhood sympathizers. They'll become anti-American. They'll become Marxists. They'll become socialists. All the ideas that are synergistic with that.
And she further defines this in her piece past week. Of course, this is not an entirely American phenomenon, but the energy in our progressive movement has taken this cooperation one step further. I've talked to you a lot about France, right? She said, in France, by contrast, Islamo-Gochisma, or Islamo-Leftism translated, they have a term for it, and we're just now trying to teach all of you about it, is much more likely to be correctly identified as a threat to the model of a universal, secular, and republican citizenship. In Britain, it remains less prominent, confined to fringe politicians, such as George Galloway, who believes that the progressive movement around the world and the Muslims have the same enemies. I think she also could mention Jeremy Corbyn, who was pretty much as pro-Hamas as the terrorist Muslim Brotherhood is. And she then quotes Daniel Pipes, who's noted that the relationship between the Islamism and extreme leftism is nothing new. In 2007, Oscar LaFontaine, former chairman of the Germany's Social Democratic Party, noted Islam depends on community, which places it in opposition to extreme individualism, which threatens to fail in the West. In addition, the devout Muslim is required to share his wealth with others. The leftist also wants to see the strong help the weak. Now, as much as I totally agree that this is the way the Islamists have sold their version of Islam and have dominated almost every Muslim community in the planet, nations especially, boy, the reality is that the Islam that I learned, it must be reformed, obviously. It must be a post-reform type, but the Islam that I learned is actually all about individualism. We learned that zakat is 2.5% of your savings and assets and not of the things that you spend. So therefore, it drives free markets. It drives spending. And if you save and and, and, and hoard, then you must pay interest. And it doesn't say that that must be done forcibly. So these many people, as they listen to it, may say that these are apologetics and not true, etc., Well, I'm just saying that this is the version that I learned. And you look at the economics discussed by reform-minded folks who write books on Islam and liberty, like Mustafa Akil or Abdullah Naim, his book on Islam and the secular state, talks about the synergy of free markets and capitalism and the lack of synergy of socialism. So this must be taught. We must lift up thinkers like that, where... Devout Muslims can show how the most Islamic form of an economy is one in which there's full-on 100% property rights for individuals. There's no community ownership. And that zakat is truly charity when persons decide to do that themselves and it's not confiscated by government. That's important. And I think that can be taught and it can be reformed and it can be looked at. But this is the key. If we're going to defeat wokeism, then wake up American Muslims, wake up global Muslim reform-minded folks and begin to transition your thoughts away from simply being either detached or being victims or being afraid to being courageous leaders who begin to write down 
and author the synergies of free markets, capitalism, and individualism with a new Islam of the 21st century. The other thing is the anti-Americanism that's so key to political Islam. The story after story in Al Jazeera and Press TV and other media outlets that are Islamists that demonize America, that want to equate and exaggerate things that happen like January 6th into comparing it to what they do to their own people. And this is not only disinformation, misinformation, and a complete agit proper, agitation propaganda. We have a lot of work to do, ladies and gentlemen. But these are the areas in which we should do it in. These are the ideas. Last today, I want to talk to you about apostasy in Islam. So many times I've talked to you about the different areas of political Islam that are sort of focal points, that are sentinel ideas that if we address them, will reform and defeat political Islam forever. Be it jihad, be it free speech and blasphemy laws, be it apostasy. Farzana Hassan has a very good piece from a few weeks ago, July 1, in the Toronto Sun, about how the ex-Muslim movement seeks to challenge apostasy in Islam. She said, it's widely known that the apostasy in Islam carries a death sentence or at least severe public and private censure. That is why a great number of ex-Muslims hide their disbelief from family, friends, and society. And I can't tell you the number of Muslims that I've met that have come up to me and quietly whispered to me, Sudi, um, we're so proud of what you're doing. You know, I, I don't tell anybody this, but I even told my parents, but I'm not really a Muslim anymore. Can you believe that? In America, in America, an individual, you know, and I as a Muslim, it breaks my heart that they left our faith. It really does. But they've left our faith and no, no thanks to what many Muslim leaders have done to warp, to present an ideology that nobody would want to be a part of. And to think that that doesn't have an impact... Sure it does. And we must understand it. As Farzana goes on, closet atheists, agnostics, ex-Muslims face greater threats in Muslim-majority countries. In response to all of this, we now have ex-Muslim YouTube stars like Harris Sultan, apostate prophet Ghalib Kamal, and other creating forums for people struggling with their faith to also come out and speak about it. Their followings keep increasing, and their presence becomes more well-known. Hats off to them for the courage to do that, because that's what makes them human. Being human is the ability to create ideas, create and express yourself in a way that is only yours. And if they feel that part of that expression is to reject the faith of Islam... So be it. 
becoming a Muslim should be about ultimate freedom of a battle of ideas where we have a free market of ideas and competition so that if people want to leave or come, they can do so and they would be attracted to the faith that we believe as Muslims is God's faith, but attracted to it because of its beauty, because of its compassion and humility, not because they have to be coerced or threatened. That's not a faith, that's a cult. As Farzana says, she said, although rulings and apostasy vary according to interpretation or societal norms, just the fear of any kind of retribution is debilitating. And there are many high-profile cases that these governments do intentionally, as the Saudis did with Raif Bedawi, Mishal Khan, Asiya Bibi in Pakistan, and others accused of blasphemy have paid dearly with their lives and liberty in countries like Saudi Arabia and Pakistan. And as she goes on, it says, it's because of the fear of ostracism from close family and friends in the community that many ex-Muslims hide their non-belief. Relationships are important to individuals and close relations that much more. I mean, truly, if these Islamists think that going to heaven is all about being Muslim, well, let the individuals find out then in the hereafter. What, what do we care? What kind of faith needs human terrorists, dictators, autocrats, military, police, to keep its members within and threaten them with death or dishonor or whatever it might be if they don't stay in the cult. Now, people may say that this is what happened since the time of the Prophet Muhammad. Now let me make it clear. When we talk about reform, yes, the majority of interpretations of Sharia are include some kind of punishment or at the very best American Islamist scholars will say that well as long as they're privately apostate that's fine because if they become public apostates then they will spread this sort of cancer of ideology that that tears apart the community so it's like profanity you have to have limit I mean Give me a break. I don't even want to articulate this further, lest any of you believe that somehow I would entertain this belief. It's nonsense. You have good ideas, you defeat bad ideas with more good ideas. And if you truly believe it's a bad idea to leave a faith, then debate the person, engage them, respect them, treat them humanely, welcome them in their departure, and tell them, May we help you at any time. You're welcome back to the mosque, to the fam. You know, don't kick them out of the family for crying out loud. But this is what Islamists do. This is what the tribalism, you know, this is why you have honor killings and other things because it's not just about leaving the faith. My goodness, if, the, if their daughter dates, if she drinks a bottle of beer, does anything else, it's not about her sins. She dishonors the family. This all needs reform. But every element of craziness sometimes comes from initially well-intended ideas. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look back at where some of this, and, and again, what fascists do, 
or Islamists or theocrats do is they take an idea and they make it oppressed, oppressive, so that they can use it for their own power. This is why fascists take over media arms but continue to push media and everybody knows it's government state media that's full of crap but yet they watch it and listen to it. Almost every Syrian I know says that the Syrian government media is complete nonsense and yet the ideas pushed on it are ingrained into their head about America and about the West and democracy in our history. That's why they work so well with the historical revisionists of the American Marxists leading the Black Lives Matter movement. So what is the origins of the apostasy punishment? Listen, I served in the U.S. Navy. 11 proud years that I would never change for exchange for anything. But when I signed up, I signed up for four years and ultimately 11 years of service. And when you sign up, halfway through, you can pound your fists. You can say you want to go here or there, whatever it is, but then they're going to assign you a billet wherever it might be, and you take it. You can't leave if you don't show up and you don't get discharge papers. You have an unauthorized absence. It's not like just not showing up for work in the free markets in the uh, civic se- in the civilian sector, if you will. And then if you're in war, it's desertion. And if you actually end up helping the enemy, it's treason. So when the Prophet Muhammad was revealing the faith of Islam, the militaries, his military, and he wore many hats. Yes, there was no separation of mosque and state. He was both the head of state, a messenger, and the head of military. So when his military fought wars, if they left if they abandon their post, they basically have left their identity as Muslim and part of that state. And there were punishments that came as a result. Now, an apologetic for that is that we believe that the Prophet separated belief in the faith itself and personal faith from conscription in the military at the time that they were threatened. But every thriving democracy even has rules for how its military engagement with its own citizens occurs and what it is once you become part of that to promote to promote unity and cohesion in their troops. So, again, this is an apologetic, but in the 7th century there was no separate states that were secular liberal democracies. That didn't happen till the 18th century and beyond. So, to hold the roots of Islamic history accountable for many of these things and how they were radicalized over centuries and then interpreted by crazy fabricated hadith and other things put in that called for the death penalty of those who leave Islam is not the Islam I know, but certainly needs a movement globally that has been too silent. And these ex-Muslims... 
have done valiant work in exposing the pathology, the cancer that is the intolerance of a faith leadership in tolerating those who leave. Miriam Namazi, as she points out, is a well-known leader of the Council of Ex-Muslims of Britain. And her organization was formed with the express purpose of enabling other ex-Muslims to come forward. Their manifesto states that by the choice of members to openly publish their names, they act as representatives of many other apostates who fear coming out in public. Judging by the traffic to websites, it is evident that there is much soul-searching underway in the Islamic world. In fact, some studies show that the highest rate of departure from the Judeo-Christian Islamic tradition is in Iran for any nation-states to atheism. It's not a surprise when the government takes on the identity of an entire faith It'll appear that that faith condones that unless there's a movement to counter that. And oh boy, look at Qatar, look at Al-Azhar and others. There isn't. There's no movement coming to counter the evil theocrats of Iran or the, the, the Wahhabi radicalism of Saudi Arabia or Qatar's Sunni, con, uh, Sunni uh, advocacy for the Muslim Brotherhood and its terrorism? None. So it's not too hard for innocent Muslims to then say, well, maybe it's the faith and I need to leave. So the reason I've done such this tough love conversation on this with my fellow Muslims here today is if you love your faith, you better get off your derriere and start doing things to publicly condemn and create movements to counter apostasy. And then from that, just like with treason, there is sedition for the Islamic State concept. And we can only win this, by the way, against apostasy and what happens to the apostates who should be able to freely, freely leave is also to counter blasphemy and to counter the, the intolerance of blasphemy. We should be able to tolerate the freedom of people to say whatever they want about Islam. And it's amazing how they say, oh, but look at Lebanon. They also don't let them say things about Judaism and Christianity, so therefore that makes it right. No. It's complete nonsense. Islam is an idea. It doesn't have any rights. Muslims have rights. Jews, Christians, atheists have rights. They're human beings. But an idea does not have a right because once you do that, once you anthropomorphize an idea, you then prevent its criticism by any autocrat that decides they want to be the theocratic defender of the faith of Islam or Christianity, whatever it might be. So this is key. And if we're going to defeat those who spread the idea of harming innocent people that decide they want to leave a faith then we need to protect free speech. We need to protect the likes of Charlie Hebdo that ISIS decided to wipe out in an act of terror on their magazine in 2015. And still to this day, what's happening in France as they go through 
internal convulsions against political Islam with the leadership of Macron and others beginning to address these issues. It's because a teacher only less than a year ago decided he wanted to educate his kids, his students, about what happened in 2015. And yet, somehow, a father told his kid that this deserved the ultimate punishment and the teacher was beheaded. The kid reported it to his father. And then the act of terror of the ISIS supporter ensued again and again in Austria and elsewhere. So we have to begin to have movements to support these free thinkers and end the power of Islamists and the ideology of Islamism. All right, well, tell your friends about our podcast. Share it online. Tell them about Reform This and what you hear about here and how unique it is. And in that short half hour, we cover some territory that you just don't hear anywhere else. Be safe. God bless. Find me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R, and at Reform This Radio. And we'll see you next week. God bless. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.